Well, it is test season for a lot of students out there. Some of our school-age children in the church have recently taken the PSSAs, which stands for something. College students have been taking final exams or about to take final exams at the end of the semester, and so we are in a season where a lot of tests are happening. Tests are meant to measure what students have learned during the school year. Have they grown in their knowledge of the subject? Have they mastered the material to be able to use it in the future? Well, tests are meant to help answer those kinds of questions. And in our sermon text today from Genesis 22, we have a test. And it is very much a final exam. We read in the opening verse of chapter 22 that God tested Abraham. Everything in Abraham's story that we've been looking at since January has been building to this moment. He had trusted the Lord on previous occasions, and on other occasions he had not trusted in the Lord. And so now he has this final exam, this final test. Will he pass the test? Will he trust God? And so we're going to read and find out. If you want to open your Bibles or your bulletins, we are in Genesis chapter 22 today as we continue our study through the life of Abraham. There's a sermon outline printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. There will not be a test. Do not worry. Um, you can also find the sermon text itself in the bulletin. Genesis chapter 22, we're looking at the whole chapter today. And so I'll read starting in verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. 
And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn. Buzz, his brother. Kemuel, the father of Aram. Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Makkah. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who, though we sometimes have to walk in darkness for a time, you have shown the light of your truth on us. That you have revealed yourself in such a way that you tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. You have told us enough to trust you. And so God, I pray that you would help me to faithfully proclaim your word. Help me to speak truthfully today, O oh God. Help me to clearly explain and apply the text in such a way that we will trust your word. Spirit, work through me today, O oh God, and open hearts and minds that we would receive your word and to believe it, and so trust it as the light that has been given to us, that we would believe this revelation and so live according to it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at Abraham's test that he went through today, and we're going to ask four questions about this test. We're going to look at why was this test so difficult? How does God grade this test? We're looking at how you pass this test. And then finally, of what use is this test? So the first, why is this test so difficult? Well, I've taken some tests that are difficult because they are long. I've taken writing tests where like my hand is dead and I still have three pages left to write. And they're challenging because they're just so grueling and exhausting. 
Other tests are difficult because the directions are incredibly confusing. And you're like, what are you asking? I don't really know. This is a hard test. Well, Abraham's test did not have a lot of questions. It only had one. And Abraham's instructions were rather clear, though confusing. God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering. And we can all understand why that would be a very difficult command to obey. Most obviously, he would struggle with the personal emotions involved. As God says, this is Abraham's son, his only son, the son whom he loves. It would be incredibly difficult for Abraham to kill his beloved son, Isaac. But Abraham would also struggle because of the apparent immorality of the command. That God is not like other pagan gods who required child sacrifice on certain occasions. This was very out of character for God. It seems to Abraham that God was commanding him to do something evil. And so that would make this hard. But perhaps the most perplexing and challenging part of this test was that it contradicted God's promise. God had promised to Abraham that through Isaac, he would have many descendants who would bless the earth. But Isaac doesn't have a descendant yet. And if God wants him to kill Isaac now, he's not going to have any descendants. How could the promise come true if the promised child is dead? And so to Abraham, this command seems to directly contradict and cancel the promise that had been given previously. Now, it's important for us to take a moment and just stop here and acknowledge we know a lot more than Abraham did at that moment. Abraham was not told, hey, it's test day. He wasn't told that. But we are told up front that God tested Abraham. We can see that God did not intend for Abraham to actually kill Isaac. That God had always planned to intervene before Isaac was killed. God did not change his mind at the last minute. He was always going to provide that ram as a substitute. Abraham didn't know any of that. Abraham doesn't know he's being tested. At schools, students usually know when they are being tested. The teacher tells you in advance, we're going to have a test. They pass out a test and tell you, this is a test. We get that. I know the school down here was making more preparations for PSSAs than they would if the president was visiting, that they had more to do for that. You always know when you are being tested in school, but that is not the case when your faith is being tested. We do not know when, and we do not always know how we will be tested by God. But though we do not know those things, we need to understand it will happen. You see, just as Abraham's faith was tested to see if he would trust, even when he didn't understand, so also we will be tested to trust when we don't understand why God wants us to do this thing. Why do you want me to obey this command, God? Why does your word make me do this? We don't always understand, just as Abraham didn't. Just as Abraham's faith was tested to see if he loved God's gifts more than God himself, so also our faith will be tested in times of suffering and hardship to see if we only love God when our life is blessed. 
instead of when it is hard. And so as people who are going to be tested by God, we're probably nervous. I don't want to like fail that test. And so our natural reaction is to wonder, well, God, how are you going to grade this test? Because like, I need to know what score I need to get on this. We often in schools use percentages or different letter grades. So if we're taking a quiz and we get an 85% and it's a B, we're like, all right. Like I can live with that. I'm good. Other times, especially in college and super ridiculous hard classes like chemistry and stuff like that, you know, you grade on a curve sometimes. And so you're graded relatively compared to the other students in the class. So if the best kid only gets like an 80, that's like an A then. Good for you. Okay. Well, how does God grade his tests of faith? Does he use a curve, a percentage score? No. He doesn't use those things. When God gives tests, they are graded pass or fail. And we can see that by how the story is told. Because when we read this story, we have so many questions that go unanswered. We want to know stuff like, how old is Isaac? Did Isaac voluntarily get on the altar? Or was it a scuffle to get him tied up? We want to know at what point did Isaac realize that he was going to be the lamb? Was there relational fallout between them afterwards? We read in verse 20 or verse 19 that Abraham returned. Did Isaac come back with him? That's a question. Did Abraham tell Sarah what he was going to do? Did he say, here's what God told me to do? But most importantly, more than anything, what we want to know is how did Abraham feel about all of this? Like what was going through his mind? Because nowhere... In this story, are we told how Abraham felt? If we were to make a TV episode or a movie about this story, the whole focus would be Abraham's internal, psychological, emotional struggle. That is all we would care about. We love that stuff. And yet, God gives Abraham the hardest commandment in the world. And all we are told is Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, cut some wood, and got going. That's it. Was he nervous? Was he angry? Was he weeping? Was he praying? None of that matters to the author. Because none of it matters to the text. What matters is whether or not Abraham obeys. It doesn't matter if he obeys with great confidence or with hesitancy. Because the only possible scores on this test are pass and fail. Consider other events in Israel's history. Think about the Passover when Israel was commanded by God to kill the blood of a lamb and put that blood on their doorposts so that the firstborn son in that house would not die. It didn't matter if the family killed it. We're like, this is totally going to work. Or if they killed it, we're like, this is so dumb. Why are we doing this? It didn't. All that mattered was, is the blood there? The same thing for when God parted the Red Sea. Some people may have been like skipping through, not a care in the world going through the Red Sea. And others may have just like, This is so not going to work. And they're walking. All that mattered is, are you going through? Are you doing it or not? 
See, our modern culture loves to dive into the psychological baggage and the motivations of people. And that can be really helpful and really useful. But we can also go too far. We can put too much emphasis on intentions and motivations and past trauma that we lose sight of what is most important. And that is, well, what did you do? Did you obey or did you not? And that's what God cares about in this passage. Did Abraham obey God's word or not? Would Abraham trust in God and reveal that trust through his obedience, even when Abraham didn't understand why and didn't think this was going to turn out great necessarily? Would he obey? It was pass-fail. That's what mattered. And so that brings us to the third question about the test. How do you pass a pass-fail exam? Well, you have to do what it says. You have to obey the word in order to pass the exam. Because if you don't obey the word, you're going to fail the exam. But that's not what I mean by how do you pass the test. I mean, how do you actually obey God when it's really difficult to obey God? How does Abraham, regardless of how he's feeling... Trust God to the point that he has a knife in his hand about to kill his own son. How do you actually do that? Well, other than when he says, here I am, which he does three times, Abraham speaks twice in this chapter. And in those two things that he says, we hear how he is able to pass this test. So first, in verse 5, look at what Abraham says to his servants. He's like, all right, guys, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, I suppose you could say he's lying to his servants because it would be really suspicious if Abraham was like, hey, stay here. I'm going to go over there and worship with Isaac, but only I'm coming back. Like, that would be really suspicious to them. But it seems like more than a lie. His words are an assertion that Isaac is important to God's promise. Abraham doesn't know how Isaac is going to come back. He just knows God has said stuff about Isaac that hasn't happened yet. So he's got to come back with me, even if I have to sacrifice him. I don't know how it's going to work, but I guess we'll be back. That's what he's saying to his servants. And then the second thing we see is in verse 8 when he talks again. He's answering (coughs) Isaac's question about the lamb. And from this question, we can kind of understand how old Isaac is. So Isaac is old enough that he can carry wood for a sacrifice, but he's young enough that he still asks, "Are, are you there questions? You know, are we there yet? He's asking very simple childlike questions, which is like, hey, dad. Where's, where's the stuff? Like, we got some of it, but we don't have all of it. And so he's probably like 8 to 15 years old. We got some 8 to 15 years old kids in here. And so Abraham says to Isaac, who asks, where's the lamb? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now again, you could say this is just a lie. He's trying to make sure Isaac doesn't freak out before they get there. Abraham's old. He's like 110. He's not chasing this kid down. That's just not happening. And it's only the two of them. 
But it seems more likely that Abraham is proceeding with an open mind as to how God is going to preserve the promised son in spite of this direct command to sacrifice him. As one commentator puts it, when God is not clear, you go on walking in the darkness by faith and obedience until he brings the light. Our New Testament reading gives us a little bit more light. It tells us that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham didn't know exactly how God was going to keep his promise about Isaac if he kept the command to kill Isaac. But Abraham believed God would keep his word. He believed that so strongly that he didn't think death was an obstacle. That death would not stop God from keeping his promise. And so Abraham trusted, it's my responsibility to obey God's clear commands, even if I don't know how this is all going to work out. Do we have that kind of faith? Can we obey God when we don't understand why we need to obey? Can we obey when we don't see any immediate benefit to our obedience? Too often, we fail that kind of test. See, we will obey God if we don't have a good reason to disobey. We will obey God as long as it doesn't negatively impact us too much. We will obey God as long as we can see why we should obey. We will obey God as long as other people don't think we're strange for doing so. But Abraham obeyed no matter what. He passed this test because he trusted God and his character. He didn't know what God was up to. He didn't see any kind of benefit that would come from him sacrificing Isaac. But he didn't question it. He didn't insist on an explanation. He just obeyed God in faith, trusting that God is good and somehow, some way, he's going to work this out. And that's just what happened. As God spared Isaac, and provided the ram to be sacrificed in his place. And that brings us to the fourth and final question. And that is, of what use is a test like this? I don't know about you, but when I was in school, uh, I occasionally asked, what's the point of this? Is this going to be on the test? Does this really matter? Our kids have asked us, why do we have to take the PSSAs? And I said, because you have to. I've always wondered why the SAT is a big deal. I still don't know what the ACT is. I know that we have students all around the world that question things like, why do I have to learn algebra, world geography, sentence diagramming, all of that. And those questions, as uh, disrespectful as they can be, you know, they come from a good place, which is education and tests should serve a good purpose. Okay, so what is the good purpose of this test? Because this is a really rough test. Of what use is it? Well, God tells us in verse 12. 
Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This test revealed Abraham's faith. It was useful for that purpose in revealing the extent of Abraham's trust in God. Okay, but why is that so helpful? I mean, like God knows everything. He knew this is how the test was going to turn out. So it's not like God all of a sudden learned something he didn't know before. Okay, well, here's some two uses then for Abraham. First, this is useful because it gives Abraham assurance of his standing with God. Obedience is the fruit of faith, and it helps us to see that we truly believe in God. Because if we only believe in God when life is easy and obedience is not costly, we might wonder, do I really believe in God? But when we find ourselves obeying God's commands when it is hard, and when we don't understand God's commands completely, then we can take comfort from the fact that God has given us saving faith. That assurance is important, especially in a world that does not reward that kind of faith. The last section of this chapter deals with Abraham's brother Nahor that we've not heard about for a long time. And it seems totally unrelated, very much unnecessary, but it's not unrelated. We are told that Nahor has the earthly blessing of 12 sons, which in the eyes of the world is like a whole lot more than what Abraham has in Isaac. But by faith, God assures Abraham in verses 15 through 18 that though your brother has a whole bunch of sons, you possess the spiritual blessings that I have promised you. What you have is far greater than what the world could ever give. Similarly, when we obey the Lord and have assurance of our faith, we can better appreciate that we truly possess the infinitely wonderful blessings that God promises us in Christ that are far greater than anything the world could ever promise us. And so, tests are useful in that sense in giving us that assurance of our faith and pointing us to our blessings. The second reason this test is useful is it shows Abraham that God is faithful. See, even though Abraham is the one being tested, God is also kind of being tested here. Abraham trusted that God would work this out. Surprise, God worked it out. One commentator even notes that Abraham gets this because when Abraham's done there, he goes, oh, I'm going to name this place Abraham obeyed. No, he doesn't do that. That's not what he calls it. He calls it the Lord will provide. That he left that mountain not like, whew, got an mom. He left that mountain thinking God was faithful. I put my trust in God and he came through. And if God was able to turn this murky situation into a great blessing, why should I ever doubt God again? Now, we have likely not had the kind of experience that Abraham has had, but we are given similar reason to trust in God. And that's because God the Father did what Abraham did not have to do. 
God the Father sent His Son, His only Son, the Son whom He loved, into the world to save the world by offering Himself as the burnt offering, as the sacrifice in our place. For we all deserve death for our sin. We all deserve that knife to come down and our death for sin. But Christ took our place like the ram took Isaac's place. And the Father poured out His holy wrath not upon us, but on His Son, His only Son. And He did that out of love for sinners like us. And so as Paul writes in Romans 8, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not with Him graciously give us all things? If God has shown Himself faithful by providing His Son, how could we not respond with obedience and trust? No matter what difficulties we face, no matter how confusing or inconvenient obedience can be, let us obey God's commands, knowing the Lord will always lovingly and faithfully provide for us, both in this life and in the life to come. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise You and we thank You for the gift of Your Son. We thank You, Lord, for the example of Abraham's faith, and we pray that You would give us faith like that. Faith that You are a God who provides. That all we have to do is trust You and take You at Your Word to obey Your commands, for they are clear in Scripture. And so, Spirit, sanctify us. Help us to trust in You more and to love You and to cherish the gift of Jesus, Your Son, our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen.